0: What's up, guys? How we doing? Uh, For those of you who are new, my name is Corey Casperson. I'm the pastor of this ministry, and I lead it with the lovely Jade Dillard in the back. Jade's the famous one in this ministry. Um, Yeah, so guys, if you're here, welcome. I know I saw a handful of new people on the way in, and I just want to say, uh, before you sneak out at the end, I'd love just to meet you and say hello and answer any questions that you might have about the ministry. And um, yeah, this ministry... Uh, we just really love Jesus here. Uh, we, uh, I feel like God has really called us to two specific things this year. I feel like God has called us to be humble. And so I love that verse that uh, Jonathan uh, shared with us that we just, if we humble ourselves before God and confess and seek him with all that we have, that he will reveal himself to us. And, I think, uh, and then I think that God has also called us to be prayerful this year. Um, that we would just really give praise and ask God to like move in our community. So I love that, and that we would be a blessing. So speaking of being a blessing, uh, we kind of said this last uh, time, but this month we are doing a shoe drive. And so um, we are partnering with the Compassion Center, which is literally like, Two miles down the road, I think actually Christ Church is the church that kind of there's a member from that community that founded the Compassion Center. It's just this really awesome ministry that they have for people who uh, are poor or experiencing homelessness. They get to kind of come into the Compassion Center and they literally get to get groceries. uh, They get to get clothes and then uh, what's really great is they get to go to like, this uh, shoe rack and they get to pick out um, a free pair of shoes. And so they have said like, one of the things that, we, that they like, really need and what would be a huge blessing is if we could supply shoes for them. And so uh, we are gathering them only this month. And so I had made this announcement last week. Literally last, next Tuesday is like, your last time to bring your shoes. So if you're going to go to the Nike outlet and get your Jordans, you got to do it this week. Sound good? Or you just go to Kendrick's house or Ray and you just grab one off their shelf. So you guys can do that too. Uh, but yeah, no, I really think this is an opportunity to give our best. Uh, I think God has asked us not to give our worst, but to give our best. And so um, maybe it's even a time where you could skip out on buying a pair of shoes for a little bit and uh, grab a new pair of shoes and be a blessing to people in our community. And so, yeah, so we got that shoe drive. Next week, please bring that in. If you brought shoes and they're in the car, there's a table outside that you can drop those off. Um, the second thing is, so we have our welcome back party next Tuesday. Yeah. <laughs> All right, yeah, so next Tuesday. Um, so here's the thing. It's, it's a Hawaiian theme, and Esteban wanted me to wear my Hawaiian shirt last night, but I bought that when I got married, and I don't fit it anymore. And, so, and it's not because I worked out, so I have to go get a new one from the Goodwill uh, or Savers. And so next Monday night, if you want to join me, that's the time we're going to go get Hawaiian shirts. And so uh, the best-dressed Hawaiian person outfit gets gifts. We'll see what you got. We'll see what you got. But we're going to give, so yeah, there's cash prizes for whatever reason. We're going to do that and bless you. So bring your Hawaiian gear, hula skirt, all that stuff. And then speaking of hula, uh, so Jay Dillard is the best hula hooper. That's what she said. So uh, we also have a hula hoop contest that night. I don't even know why we're doing this stuff, but it's going to be fun. And so, uh, yeah, so we're going to watch people hula hoop. That'll be cool. Uh, There's also going to be free shaved ice, so unlimited shaved ice for you guys. But here's the thing. Here's the main reason. Uh, I just want us to have a time where we can come back and just really spend some quality time with each other. So, listen, we're going to have tables in here. There's also going to be a, I forgot to add this, a chips and salsa making contest. I don't know how that fits into Hawaiian-themed, but yeah. chips and salsa are, like, my go-to thing. So uh, make your best chips and salsa. You, all, you also get money for that, too. So we're just handing out money in 710. That's just how it's going to go. Also, if, you, if you've been coming and you're like, man, like, that guy, that girl's cute, like, this is the time where you go have that conversation. So no joke, we had people meet their spouses at this event. I know many of you are, like, ready for that. So that's actually why you're here. So... And Jesus, of course. So yeah, the welcome back party, that's enough about that. So that's next Tuesday. This is a great opportunity to bring a friend, and that'll be good. All right, my last quick announcement before we get into the book of Jonah and pray is, uh, so last year we got to do our first annual uh, worship night, uh, All Redemption Young Adult Worship Night at Redemption Tempe in April, and so we're doing that again this year, except we're moving the time to September. So uh, this is just a, uh, how many of you went last year? I don't know. A handful of you. It was a really powerful experience, wasn't it? I think all of our Redemption families coming together to have a really big worship night and uh, just to celebrate our unity across congregations. And even if you're not a part of Redemption uh, Church or Redemption Gilbert, like just to be unified as the body of Christ. So September 16th, it's actually going to be at Redemption Arcadia. And so what's cool about their kind of sanctuary size, I'm pretty sure it only fits like 200 people, so it's going to be like packed out there, and it'll be like you will be able to hear people sing loud. So it's going to be really fun. So put it on your calendar. It's a Friday night, September 16th, and uh, that will be a lot of fun. So sound good? Yeah. You, guys ready for, you guys ready for Jonah? <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's pray, and then Esteban will stop saying yeah. So... All right, uh, Lord, uh, we love you so much, and God, we're so thankful for you. And Lord, we do, um, God, we love laughing. Uh, You are a God of laughter, and Lord, you created joy, and there's joy to be had in you. And so thank you for the relationships that we have in this ministry. Thank you for the family. But Jesus, most importantly, Lord, we are so thankful for you. And Lord, as I'm coming off of a week where... um, Lord, I don't even feel worthy to be standing up here to share your word and I'm just so grateful for how gracious you are with me. Um, God, the, the ways that my heart can surprise me um, Lord, the things that I didn't even know were in there or I thought or I knew were in there but didn't know how deep they went and so Lord, um, I'm thankful that you show us, God, who we really are so that you would transform us. And so, Lord, I'm praying over this ministry tonight. I'm praying over these people. Lord, whether the person in the room knows you or doesn't or has walked with you five minutes or five years, um, Jesus, we just want to, Lord, we want to humble ourselves before you and we want to hear from you. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come? Lord, would you fill us? And Lord, would your presence just bring a rest over our hearts? And so, Lord, I pray in the next uh, 30 or so minutes, Lord, that you would really help us to focus in, that it's not just... Uh, me talking, but Lord, we want to hear from you. And so, Lord, as we hear from your word, we're hearing from you, so I pray that we would just be attuned to that. And Lord, we love you. Put us all in your name. Amen. Amen. So I think at some point uh, in all of our lives, uh, especially for those of you who have followed Jesus for a while, or maybe even if you're just like a new Christian and it's only been a year, at some point in our lives, we all experience a season or a time where we're spiritually apathetic. Do we not? Where like, have you ever had that time where you just like, you just can't turn your heart over? You like, you read, you're spending time with God, you're trying to follow him, but your heart's just not following. We all go through that. I think the, the real, actually, level of spiritual apathy at least at that place, when you're going, like, God, I'm trying to turn my heart over, like, I'm asking, I'm praying, it's been weeks, it's been seasons, we all go through that, but what I love about that person is they're fighting. The dangerous part about spiritual apathy or spiritual slumber is when you get to a place where you just don't care anymore. And I, I know in my own life, in my personal life, the scariest moments that I get in with Jesus not like with him, but like where I look at my own self is when I just go to a point where I'm like, I just don't care. And maybe you're in the room and like you don't even know why you're here and you showed up and there's something in you and you're like, I just don't care. I don't care about these songs. I've been there. I don't, I don't care about these songs. I don't care about God's word right now. I don't care about these people. I just don't care. In, in a pastoral ministry, I'll say this. Um, like uh, people who are so wild and out of control, I will take all day long because they have passion that is like out of this roof, but it's just misdirected. And so conversations with those people, are like, hey, let's redirect that towards Jesus. And it's, it's beautiful. The hardest thing in the world, guys, I'm telling you the hardest thing in the world to navigate as a pastor as I try to walk through people is when I sit across the table or sit in an office or sit in a home when somebody just goes like, I just don't care. The word's open, slouched, can barely, like I don't even wanna pull it out on my phone. There's no appetite, um, and the reason I uh, I bring this up is because I want to I want to share this sentence: When the fear of the Lord is absent in your life, that's when spiritual apathy is present. When the fear of the Lord is absent in your life, that's when spiritual apathy is present. And here's what I mean by fear of the Lord. Fear of the Lord, that's a very churchy, Christian thing to say, and, and you may be in here, you not, might not even be a Christian, and when you hear fear of the Lord, you're like, okay, is that supposed to be afraid of God, or what does that mean? Here's what it means. The fear of the Lord is somebody who's been captivated by, by Jesus and his kingdom. Like, you, you guys all know this person, the person that you know that, like, when I say they fear the Lord, you go, there's just something about them, they're so captivated by Jesus. Like it surpasses circumstances, it surpasses like their own life, but there's just like this, you guys know these people, like there's just this passion, you're like, what is that in you? It's the fear of the Lord. And when that's absent, that's when actually a fear of this world takes place. And when I talk about, you ever know the people that are so captivated by this world? Or maybe that's you in, in the room, you're like, I'm just, I'm so captivated by the money, sex, power. Like I wanna be captivated by God's word, but let's just be honest, this other thing in my life is just has me. Um, here's what we're gonna see. Tonight in the book of Jonah, we're gonna see that what happens when spiritual apathy and spiritual slumber runs your life. And so I guess I just wanna, I wanna just say this up front, like tonight's message is gonna take humility and just an openness to receive just what God would have to say. Um, I would also say that, um, like, I I kind of was talking in the prayer space, like, God has just been all over me this week because of this topic in my life, and so um, this is just going to come straight for us, but I also think there's a beautiful invitation through this, and if you're sitting in the room, you're like, man, I'm just feeling, like, apathetic, I feel like I'm asleep spiritually, like I just need somebody to wake me up, um, I'm praying that God would really move in your heart tonight. Sound good? Okay, so if you open up your Bible, open up to Jonah chapter 1. If you're following on a Bible app, I will be reading out of the NIV translation. And so a big picture, uh, kind of what we're going to see today in this, in this chapter, is that we're going to see that a few things. One, spiritual apathy creates storms in our life, Spiritual apathy creates storms in our life. The second thing that we're gonna see is that spiritual apathy compromises our credibility as Christians, and then lastly, we're gonna see, and this is where the hope is, is that when we're at our worst, God is at his best. Amen? That we are, when we are at our worst, God is at his best. So um, let me just reread the first three verses that we went over last week, and then we'll take a running start into the part of the story that we're in. So uh, Jonah chapter one, verse one says this. The word of the Lord came to Jonah Son of Amittai, He says, "Go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it because its wickedness has come, come up before me." So uh, a prophet is somebody who speaks to God's people on behalf of God. And so God gets a hold of this prophet uh, of Israel named Jonah. and he says, "Hey, listen, I have heard of the wickedness of Nineveh. Its sound has come up before me." which' just another side note. God says the same thing about Sodom and Gomorrah. The sound of the wickedness has come up before me. And so right off the bat, we're supposed to be saying, like, this is like a wicked people. And God says pretty much, uh, I want you to go and I want you to be the agent of grace to these people. That's your call. And so Jonah gets it. We talked about it's a dangerous call. It was a difficult call. It was filled with doubt. And what does Jonah do like many of us? He absolutely beelines it the other way uh, he's supposed to go like 500 miles to Nineveh. He goes 2,500 miles to Tarshish, and he's like, I'm out of here. And uh, so he goes, he takes the boat, uh, he, he, he pays his fare to get on a ship, and he goes to flee from the Lord. Now it's interesting, God called him to go to Nineveh, but it says he, he fleed the Lord. And so just, whenever you flee from your call, you're not just fleeing from your call, you're fleeing from the presence of God himself. And so then we pick up our chapter in verse four, and this is where we're gonna move on today. So chapter one, verse four. So Jonah's on the boat and it says, then the Lord sent a great wind on the sea and such a violent storm arose that the ship threatened to break up. And so, okay, so Jonah, he's, he's on the boat and it says he's, he's running away from the Lord and, and God sends a violent storm. That's great. It seems pretty simple enough. Here's the point here. Running away from God and his call on your life will always lead you into a great storm. And how many of you know this to be true? God's calling you to something. You run the other way or you've tried to be king of your whole your own life and you're just running away from God, and what does it do? It creates a storm. And the reason in my life at least that I don't like actually like realize it or notice it right away is because it, typically it, it doesn't come like, all right, we, we disobey God, we run away and then all of a sudden everything's a mess. Sometimes it happens that way but typically how this happens is we don't realize the, the, the pain of sin immediately. It's this, it, like it slowly overtakes you in your situation one compromise at a time, one decision at a time until it's too late and things are destroyed. We all know this from experience, maybe it's happened to you in a dating relationship where just one compromise, one small disobedient, over like a course of six months and you go, my life's a complete mess, it's destroyed. Maybe it happened with a substance, maybe it happened with something on your computer, maybe it happened with something on your heart, but these these small compromises, one small thing at a time, we don't even notice it, we don't even notice the pain right away, but all of a sudden we blink and we look back and go, how did we even get here? And so what we see from this passage is Jonah saying, "Like I'm running away from the Lord, and when you run away from the Lord, you go into a storm. Tim Keller, um, he's talking about this, and uh, I thought this was really good. He says, we actually must be careful when we talk about this, because I know as soon as I even say this, there's some of you in the room that think everything that's bad that has happened in your life is because God is trying to punish you to figure out or help you learn some lesson that you don't even realize. Does anybody, is anybody like that in the room? I meet with those people, I'm like that person, I'm like, okay, oh, something bad happened, here we go, what, God, what's, you know, like? but that's not always the case. So Tim Keller says this, he goes, we must be careful here. This is not to say that every difficult thing that comes into our lives is the punishment for some particular sin, thank God. The entire book of Job contradicts the common belief that good people will have lives that go well and that if your life is going badly, it must be your fault. The Bible does not say that every difficulty is the result of sin, but here's the point. But it does teach that every sin will bring you into difficulty. Now, I wanna, uh, I wanna share just maybe even like an experience I have with this about disobedience leading to, to like kind of storm or anxiety in our lives. Um, I feel like, and I'm just gonna be, I'm gonna be completely transparent, and I, and I say it because it's happened in my life. I feel like oftentimes, we come to church or we come to a, a, you know, a church event or a worship service or a young adult gathering like this and we come in and we f- we're filled with anxiety. And then we, what we're praying for is like, God, take away, take away this anxiety. Take away this anxiety, relieve the pain. And I think one of the things that this chapter is trying to show us is there's anxiety that just happens because life sucks and is hard. But then there's anxiety that happens in our life as a result of idolatry. We're in our own lives, we put our trust, our value, we orbit our whole lives around something, and then it gets taken away, or it's not what we thought, or we're trying to hold on to it, and what we experience because we're putting our lives in something else that's not God, what happens? Anxiety. So we come to church, and we sing, and we go, Lord, give me freedom, give me anxiety from this. And then we get mad at God that he's not relieving the anxiety. And I think some of the things that we get deceived by is God goes. The reason you're having anxiety is because you're worshiping something else besides me. And so that's one of the things that I think Jonah is showing us is that like God sends storms and He lets you experience what happens from putting trust in something else, and a storm will come. Now I want you to look at something uh, in verse four. There's this is why I think that there's hope in this particular passage. Who sent the storm? You can say it out loud, it's okay. God sent the storm. Why did God send the storm? Because he's pursuing Jonah. Listen, when God sends you a storm because of your disobedience and running away from him, the center of the storm is grace. God is turning up the volume on your life. He's letting the crazy go. Why? Because he wants your heart. And I think for me, this is what I do. I I want freedom from the storm. And God goes, I'm actually found at the center of it. Because I sent the storm and you were running away. And so the first thing that we see is that running away from God and his call on your life will always lead you into a great storm. Um, The next thing that we're going to see is that when we run away from God's call on our life in verses 5-6 through is that it always creates storms for others. So it doesn't just create storms for our own lives, but it always creates storms for others. Look at verses five through six. The passage says this. So the, so the ship's going crazy, and then it says in verse five, all the sailors were afraid, and each cried out to his own God, and they threw the cargo into the sea to lighten the ship. So they're, they're freaking out. They're like calling out to any God that they can even think of, and they threw the cargo in the ship. Like hopefully this thing doesn't break down. Uh, but Jonah had gone below the deck where he laid down, so he goes down, Look, it says, he says he went below the deck and the actual word there is he went down. Remember how I said it, like he trying to show that Jonah's going down and down and down. So Jonah got, went down below the deck where he lay down and fell into a deep sleep and then the captain of the boat went to him and said, how can you sleep? Get up and call on your God. Maybe he will take notice of us so that we will not perish. So Jonah is sleeping in the boat. Literally, the sailors are freaking out. Like, they actually, think about this. They, are, they might perish because of Jonah's spiritual apathy. Jonah is asleep in the boat. God sent a storm to get of Jonah's heart. Jonah's not awake to it. He's asleep to it. And who's suffering because of it? Others. Others. And here's the point. Our private sin always has a public impact on others. Our private sin always has a public impact on others. Jonah is like this relational wrecking ball. Have you guys ever known somebody that's like just, they're just like everywhere they go, it's just like storm follows them. You're like, you just got to get out of the way because it's just like this relational wrecking ball. And what 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 I think this passage is trying to show us, and guys, like. like Tell me, you probably experienced this in your own life. How many of you have said, well, I mean, this is really just me. Like, this is just me. It's just some private thing. Like, it really doesn't have an effect on others. I know I've ran away from God and and said that same thing. I've sat with other Christians who go, I mean, it doesn't really matter. Like, they can do whatever they want because it doesn't affect me. Have you guys heard that before? Uh, This is just a foundational belief in our culture out there is like, hey, as long as it doesn't affect me, as long as it doesn't hurt others, you can do whatever you want. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. <laughs> it's everywhere. Isn't it? It's everywhere. And I think one of the things that Scripture is trying to warn us and show us is like, don't be deceived that your, your private compromises, the small things in your life, whatever it might be, don't think that doesn't affect others. Because here's, hap- here's what happens. It may not affect others right away, but every single time we give in to something that isn't of God, it's not that we're just doing something bad. God's not interested in just if you're doing bad or good. God is trying to transform us into human beings that create flourishing in the world, to transform us in the image of Christ. That's where, I, where Jesus, everywhere Jesus went, he brought flourishing. What does sin do? It dehumanizes you. It destroys you. It makes you feel like death. And then over time, you just start becoming like death. You start thinking like death. You just feel dead. And then everywhere you go, what do you do? All of a sudden, like, why did I snap at them like that? Why is that bitterness in my heart like that? Why do I, like, why am I so self-absorbed? And like one compromise at a time. And the sin actually has effects on people around you. I think one of the things that our culture has done is it, it, and what this passage has shown us is that when we believe that our private sin has no public impact, it really relieves, it it really, it just shows us how naive and simple we are. That we have this, like, privatized faith. And so what we see from this passage and the warning up front is that, yes, when we run away from God, it creates storms for us, but it also creates storms for others. Uh, The second thing that we see is that uh, spiritual apathy, it it compromises our credibility. When we actually see this in the, Uh, in the same verses, and so you're supposed to see in this passage, it's supposed to be ironic and almost comical, but you see this kind of like obvious, like the man of God in the story is the least person in the story who's acting like God, and the people that are farthest with God literally are the most noble. So literally, I don't know if you notice this in these verses, but in the story, the sailors what? They're alert and they're attuned to the problem of the world and what's happening. They're like, they're freaking out, they're just like, they're alert, they know exactly what's going on. Jonah is asleep in the bottom of the boat. The sailors, they're seeking the good of everybody. Even Jonah who's asleep, like, if I were in a panic, I'm like, I'm not going to wake him up. we got to figure this out. Like, they're literally, like, they're seeking the good of everybody. And then there's Jonah absorbed in his own concerns. Literally just so wrapped up in his own life that he's absorbed in his own concerns. And he, it keeps him from seeking the good of everybody. The sailors are the one praying in the story, they're praying to each their own god, and in that time, they believed that there was like different like gods that reigned over different kind of geographical parts of the world, and so they're literally like calling on any of them. It's like, hey, one of you guys got to an answer. So they're praying. What's Jonah doing? He's asleep and he's got nothing to pray. This is crazy. The prophet in the story is the one who God called to point the nations to God. The sailors are the nations in the story, and who are they pointing to God? Who are they pointing back to God? Jonah. They're the ones pointing Jonah back to God. So Jonah, he compromises his witness to the one true God because of his spiritual slumber, and he's just dead in it. Here's the lesson, and I think we're actually really gonna take this seriously. People outside the faith community have the right to evaluate us as God's people on our commitment to the good of all tell me if this is true, we spend a lot of time in the church evaluating the world. And what, I think what God is trying to say oftentimes is the most noble people out there are the ones that don't even know God. Listen, when Jonah, listen, when his testimony could have been the most powerful, he has nothing to say because of his conflict with God. His private faith had no public value. Now this is where God just absolutely just wrecked me this week, so I'm prepping for this story, and I'm just like, oh my gosh, look at this, Jonah, you know, like, I can't believe he's asleep, he's, you know, he's apathetic, he has, like, this conflict with God, and, you know, he's just sitting there, and, like, you know, I'm feeling very superior to Jonah, like, I'm feeling really good about myself, and, uh, and so I'm looking, I see these sailors, and I'm like, man, this is an incredible passage, and then all of a sudden, I would say, it was Thursday night this week, guys, my heart went south, you guys ever have that where you're just like walking with the Lord? It's like flowers, man. This is good. And then all of a sudden you're like, Vroom. oh, here we are. And uh, I won't tell you what I was struggling with, but I was struggling with discontentment, particularly with money. Young adults, amen. <clears throat> so guys, I just I don't want to downplay this. I was I was re- like I. I'm not going to go into all of it because it's going to take away from the point, but I was like, I've, I've been sitting, my wife and I are in a unique season and we've just been praying for like just provision and I, up until I would say Thursday, I was in a great place, but I was like, oh man, I'm trusting the Lord, things are good and then literally something like took a turn in my heart on Thursday and I went from like, God, please, I trust you to like what the heck God are you doing and I'm mad at you. I go home And uh, you know when you're so absorbed in your own mind that you can't even talk to somebody sitting next to you? So like I'm trying to talk to my wife. I'm like pretending I'm listening, but I'm like actually lost in a different world. But I'm trying to listen. Like I'm like there. And I'm like, babe, I was like, I am just in a really bad place. I was like, I'm embarrassed. I feel so self-absorbed. And I'm wrestling through this. Um, It got so bad that night. Chris was like, hey, how about we like kind of pray a verse just like over this time in our season? And I was like, nope. I don't want to do that. Like that's what was in my heart. I was like, yeah, sure. How about we pray Romans or, uh, uh, 13 or Hebrews 13? And I was like, guys, my heart was dark. I went to bed that night, and I was like, it wasn't just like God. It was like God, I'm mad at you. That was my prayer. literally, that was my whole. I was laying on the pillow. I was like, God, I'm mad at you. I was like, I want, I want a different heart right now. But I was like, what? I was like, I told you I didn't want to go into ministry if this was going to be the case. You know, I'm doing that whole thing. Like God, I told you. And so I'm sitting in there, and I'm feeling dark. I'm feeling hard-hearted. And then this is what happens. I'm driving home from work, and then I look at my neighbor, who I'm sure doesn't know the Lord, and she looks like she's, I'm not kidding, she looks like death. She looks like she's about to die from cancer any moment. And she's sitting there, she's got mask on, she's got a, a hat on, she's got long sleeve, and she's sitting there with her like a year and a half old. And I was like, okay, Lord, okay, that's fine. Let's just cruise on past that, because I can't look at that right now. So, of course, I go back into being bitter. Then I move on, and um, I wake up the next morning, and uh, one of my close friends that I know well, uh, they just had a miscarriage. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm like, what the heck? Like, Corey, what's your deal? You know? And so I'm sitting there in that, and... um, And I'm just like, the whole weekend, you would think that's like, all right, God, I tap out. I was like, I was fighting God all weekend. And God's like, remember how Jonah was like so wrapped up in his apathy and his like, his concerns? And like, remember how he, his conflict with God is what actually kept him from seeking the good of others and seeing others around him? Remember how his conflict with God like robbed him of his testimony because he was so concerned about himself? Does that sound familiar? It's like, no, God, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's for somebody else at 710. So I'm, I'm sitting in here, and then, guys, let's, guess what happens? I show up to church on Sunday, and there's cash on my desk for the exact amount of money that my wife and I were short in our budget for the month. And I'm sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. One, God, my apathy and my hard-heartedness towards you and my self-absorption. God, I didn't even know I could be that mad at you like, Lord, how did my anxiety turn? Like, how did I go dark so fast? How did I not see? And I'm just like, God just wrecking me. And then right in the middle of it, God loves to love, so he just blesses me and my wife. And he goes, I see you and I love you. And so the reason that I say this is not to say, and I want to be really careful, it's not like, hey, you guys, your anxieties don't matter. That's not the point. God deeply, deeply, deeply cares about the little things, hence the cash on my desk. But at the same time, God's love for you and when Jesus says, hey, seek first the kingdom, how can you seek first the kingdom if you know somebody's not going to take care of you? And so what Jesus says to us, and he goes, listen, I'm going to take care of you. And that trust frees you to look outward. What does anxiety do? It makes your world go vroom. does it not? You go into a room and all you can think about is that. You're, you're in a room but your mind's somewhere else. All anxiety does is this. And what Jesus goes is, listen, you're my people, you're my beloved, you're my chosen, I'm gonna take care of you, I promise, so seek first the kingdom. You don't have to be absorbed in your own problems. And so I had to live that this this week. And here's why that matters. We live in a world right now where people are absolutely, with everything that they are doing, striving and scrambling for the kingdom of God. The sailors they're going, Jonah, can't you see we're dying? That. He goes, how can you sleep Call on your God, do something? And I feel like a lot of times the world looks at the church and goes, listen, can't you see we're dying out here? Can't you see there's reconciliation that needs to happen? Can't you see we can't find unity? Can't we see there's inequality? Can't we see there's selfishness? Can't you see, can't you see? Church, are you gonna do something? And we go, no, sorry, I'm like wrapped up in my own thing. And so I think the challenge here is our spiritual apathy in our slumber, it can compromise our credibility to the world because the world is looking for the kingdom of God. It's striving for it, but they just don't know the king. Sometimes we have the king and we don't strive for the kingdom. And so I think God is saying, listen, give yourself fully to me. Give yourself fully to the world. I'll take care of you. So that's what God taught me this week. And maybe there's something for that in you. Let's uh, continue the story. Look at verses seven through 10. So then the sailors said to each other, come, let us cast lots to find out who is responsible for this calamity. So back then it was believed that you could just roll dice and God would just answer through the dice. So literally they roll dice and it's like, Jonah, congratulations, you got chosen. Uh, So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. So they asked him, tell us who is responsible for making all this trouble for us. What kind of work do you do? Where do you come from? what is your country, from what people are you? So they're just trying to figure out, and the, most scholars think, they're asking him this question because they're trying to figure out like, who his God is so that they can pray to his God uh, as well. Um, and then verse nine, he says this. He, he goes, I am a Hebrew, and I worship the Lord. That word is actually uh, better translated fear. So it should say, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord. The God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. It says, this terrified them, and they asked, what have you done? They knew he was running away from the Lord because he told them at the very beginning. All right, so here's, you gotta get what's going on here. Jonah, this is what, this, this is what Jonah's response is. He goes, listen, I know. Uh, I'm a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord who made the sea. And they're looking at his life, and they go, you don't fear the Lord. You're running away from the Lord. And you're running away from the Lord who you said made the sea and you're running away from the Lord on our boat, on the sea. (laughs) And the captain looks at him and they're like, what are you doing? And then the moment you feel superior to Jonah, Jonah's got you. Because we all, isn't our confession as Christians, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, which means I confess that Jesus is Lord over everything in my life everything, everything in my life. And we go, I fear the Lord. And then the world goes, no you don't. This is, uh, I, um, so I grabbed coffee with uh, or lunch with somebody from 710 today, and he was telling me about his like kind of transformation of like coming to know Christ, uh, raised in the church, parents divorced, it was just like got messy with the church he was at, and uh, he was like, I hated the church, and I was like, there's no freaking' way. He's like, I'm not going back. He's like, they are all hypocrites. I was like, why did you say that? He's like, because I'd go to GCU. Lopes up, everybody. Um, <clears throat> he's like, so i go to GCU, and I'm watching, like, I'm watching these chapels where thousands of people are coming together and praising God, and he's like, Corey, I literally see people on the front row like this, just worshiping and weeping. And he goes, and then I go to the party on Friday. And they're just getting down and doing and I And I was like, you're welcome. And, uh, and he's like, I would go to the party. And he's like, and he's like guess what they're doing? X, Y, and Z. Worshiping, weeping with the Lord on the ground. I fear the Lord. Going to this place. It doesn't matter. God's so gracious and he's so good. And he goes, I, had, I wanted nothing to do with Christianity after that. Now listen, praise God that he got a hold of his heart. But I think there is something, we we may not, you know, I don't think anybody's on their knees in this worship set. But we all have that. Lord, I love you, I fear you, I worship you. And then there's something, there's something. And I don't know what it is for you, I have it for me. God, I fear you, I thank you. Why the heck haven't you given me more? God, I love you, I'm so grateful for my wife. Oh, lust. Oh God, I love you. I'm, you know, I'm committed to it, but Lord, give me what, you know, whatever it is, and I think there's something in our lives where we have to look and go, all right, like, does my confession actually match what my life is actually displaying to the world? Because the world sees it. Somebody's noticing, I promise, and so we see that spiritual apathy, it can ruin our credibility. All right, you guys feeling really good about yourselves? here's the good part. <clears throat> when, when, we're at, when we're at our worst, God is truly at his best. And I'm not just saying that as like, oh, isn't that nice? Write that down and go home. But like God is, God is genuinely and truly at his best when his people are at his worst. And we see that when we finish the story. Uh, verse 11 says this, the sea was getting rougher and rougher. So the storm's getting worse and worse and, and you guys may have experienced that life. It's like, man, it's like, Jonah, you gotta turn around, man, because this thing's getting bad for us. So they asked him, what should we do to you to make the sea calm down for us? They immediately know, like, it's we got to do something with you. And, uh, and so Jonah, sorry, let me find, uh, okay, verse 12. So Jonah goes, pick me up and throw me into the sea. Pretty noble. And it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come upon me. So at face value, this looks like Jonah's, like, his heart's starting to turn. It's like, man, it's like, he's like, guys, you got me. Those dang dice. I knew the Lord, you know. He's like, all right, it was me. Guys, I'm so sorry. Throw me into the sea. There's actually something else going on here. See, at the face, it looks noble. But this is actually Jonah's lowest of lows spiritually, because Jonah isn't saying, guys, I love you so much, I'm so sorry, just kill me, so I'll be good. Jonah would rather die than do God's will. And so he goes, hey, get me off the boat and throw me into the sea. Jonah is so hard-hearted towards God, he goes, I would rather die, Lord, than listen to what you've called me to do. And so they say, hey, throw, how do you, what's the surest way to not do God's will die literally like that's like that's as far as they get so, and that's where jonah's at but look at this is what's so phenomenal and this is why the the, the story of jonah is a, is a story about god look at verse 13 it says instead the men did their best to row back to land so they're noble they're like okay dude like i get it like i thought we'd have to like do something else to you like have you hula hoop or something but like we're not going to throw you over but they but they could not row back because the sea got so bad So for the sea grew even wilder than before. So God's like turning up the volume here. Then in verse 14, it says, then they cried out to the Lord, please, Lord, do not let us die for taking this man's life. Do not hold us accountable for killing an innocent man, which is ironic because he's clearly not innocent. For you, Lord, have done as you pleased. Then they took Jonah and threw him overboard and the raging sea grew calm." It says, at this the men greatly feared the Lord and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows to him. So Jonah's like, hey guys, get me out of here. I don't want to do God's will. Throw me overboard. And guess what happens? The sailors, what does it say? Greatly, what? Feared the Lord. And what did they do? They made sacrifices and vows to him. Now here's the key. When did they make sacrifices and vows? after the storm stopped. Which means what? It was after the chaos had stopped that they go, okay, Lord, I'm yours. It wasn't before. And so most scholars say, when it says they greatly feared the Lord, the Lord's in all caps, that means Yahweh. Most scholars think that what they're trying to say is that the sailors actually came to know the living God through this experience. Jonah is absolute worst. He says he fears the Lord, but the sailors are the ones who actually fear the Lord in the story. Here's, here's why this matters. Jonah flees, listen, Jonah flees to avoid grace being extended to the wicked, but ironically, no matter what he does, that's what he ends up doing. Jonah literally he flees and dies to avoid grace being given to the wicked but ironically even at his worst that's what he actually ends up doing and here's the lesson God's purpose and we should all say amen God's purpose and power cannot ultimately be thwarted even when we compromise our witness Amen The whole story of the Bible literally from Adam to Abraham to Moses to, so on and so forth, is just story after story of man of God or woman of God compromising their witness, failing over and over and over. And the whole story of the Bible is saying, and then God still showed up. And then God still showed up. And then they had a panic attack, and then God still showed up. And then they just worshipped idolatry, and then God still showed up. And God shows severe mercy and kindness and grace We'll see that next week. But God just keeps showing up over and over. And you guys may have experienced this in your life. You go like, God, how the heck are you using me? How is your power still showing up? And God goes, because I was inviting you into something I was already doing. I wasn't actually trying to get you to make something new happen. God's power and God's purpose cannot ultimately be thwarted even when we compromise our witness. So what should our response be from that? And I think there's two things. One, um, I think that means humble repentance and grateful worship. Where we just heard this whole sermon and we listen to the ways that we're running from God and we keep running and we keep doing those things and then we still see God show up. And what does God want? How, does he, how do we respond to that? I think we go, God, in humility, like, like John, I mean, literally the verse Jonathan read today, I was like, God, thank you for reading that verse. God goes, humble yourself. Confess your sin, repent, turn, change your thinking, turn around, go the opposite way. You should have even more, like, the fact that God shows up in spite of us, should we go, with God, and then we go grateful worship, where we just like, we just praise and worship God, and just go, Lord, I'm so grateful. How? Guys, I'm telling you, the amount of times I get done, or I look at my life, or whatever, and I'm like, God, I don't know why the heck you're using me. Like, I really have no idea why. And God goes, because I love who I love, and I'm committed to what I'm doing, and I made a promise, and I'm going to continue it. The second thing that I think we should do, it should feel and grow our appetite for obedience. Listen, if you're in the room and you go, God's still going to show up if I don't, <laughs> I want to be careful what I say. I'll just say this. God's grace is never a reason not to show up yourself. In our passion, if you go, if you're just sitting here and you're like, God, I don't really care and I just, you know, whatever, like I'm not really into this, I think God goes, man, you are missing out one but also, man, there is a joy and a beauty and a passion just to go, God, I The fact that you still committed to me and you're still following and you're still pursuing and you're still saving and you're still restoring and you're still working in my family even though and you're still and you're still and you're still. I think we should be reading that and we should go in the prayer room and go like, Lord, have mercy. I repent. God, I'm so grateful I worship. This is why we worship. This is why we praise and we should leave these doors going, God, I want to give my all because you don't even need me. The fact that you want to use me, I'm all in. Amen? Okay, we're at the end of this and I just want a, a couple more thoughts. <clears throat> if you're like me this week, because I was thinking about this, and maybe you're sitting here in, in the room, you go like, okay, I got me. Cool, you happy, Corey? <laughs> you happy, Jonah? God, I get it, you got me. You know, what do I, do, what do I actually do about my apathy? Because if you're like me, apathy is one of the most discouraging things because it feels like you can't do anything about it. And you just kind of, like, you just go, man, like, yeah, God got me conviction. I'm going to, like, the hype of conviction in my heart is going to just, like, send me into obedience for the next 10 years. And it's just, like, no. That's just not going to happen. Here's my experience, and I want to share it with you because I think there's a couple things here about us and our apathy. In my own experience, and I bet it's true for you, typically those who lose their wonder are the ones who begin to wander. I want to say that again because it's really important. Those who lose their wonder are the ones that begin to wander. Look at your life and look at your heart. When do you wander from God? When the wonder of who he is and what he's doing is just nothing to you. And so we go, oh God, like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and I'm like, I do think God says, yeah, please, go, give, make every effort. But it has to start from a place of cultivating a wonder for God. And this happens, this, listen guys, this has to happen every day because if you're like me, I went to bed and wonder about God's grace and then I woke up not caring that it was even a thing. And so I was in the prayer room this morning and I was just like, I was like, God, you have to show me the wonders of your grace. This is especially true of you who have been a part of the church for a long time and you've heard Jesus has died for your sins a thousand times. And you can sing about it and you're just like, you know, I do it to. But to sit there and go like, God help me to hear this for the first time. Help me to be captive. The living God came as a human and died for me. See, in this story, I think there's a deeper meaning that's meant to lead to a deeper change. And that's this. Um, See, Jonah, he begrudgingly threw himself into the sea to save the sailors but it wasn't really to save the sailors, it was to save himself. And I think what scripture is showing us is Jesus, the living God, comes down in human form, he gets on the boat, and he willingly throws himself into the seas of judgment for you. And the story of the scriptures is saying, listen, there is a storm of judgment coming. God is just and he's good and he won't let evil go unpunished. Jonah goes, let me get out of here. And Jesus, in humility, in love and grace for the joy that looked before him, in the garden, he's sweating. It's so much on him. He's like, God, give me something else. And he goes, God, I'll, I'll go into the storm. I'll go into the storm of judgment for Lexi, for Nico, for Josh, for Misael, for Matthew, for Jesse, I will go into the storm for them. So what? So that they may know me and so that they may sacrifice and give thanks and praise and fear my name and then go and be sent out into the world for why I have them. And so I just wanna ask you a question tonight. How's your wonder scale? Have you, have you lost your wonder? Maybe, maybe tonight is just going, God, I need it. I can't. I need it. And then you seek God with all your heart, and you go, I, I was just, guys, I, I'm going to be done because I'm just rambling at this point. But I, just, I don't know what else to say. I was like, like guys, the scripture says, if you seek me, you will find me if you what? Some of you know it. If you seek me with all your heart. God does not lie, and that verse is True. And so we're gonna, we're gonna go into a time of prayer and we're gonna go into a time of singing. Um, and so let's just bow our heads and then uh, we'll, uh, we'll go on from there. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, uh, God, we love you. And um, Lord, I'm, I'm praying, God, that you would captivate our hearts, Lord. I'm praying that you would give us a, a, a fascination and a curiosity and a drive, Lord, just to put ourselves, Lord, before you, to walk with you. Um, but Lord, I, I pray for, for us in the room, Lord, that we would not lose, Lord, our wonder. And maybe some of us in the room need to learn to wonder for the first time, God. Lord, our hearts wander, our hearts wanna leave. And Lord, we know that we can't create something in us, Lord, and so we pray and we ask and we seek you with all of our heart, Lord, and we worship when we don't feel like it, Lord, and we're honest with you, and we bring it to you. But Lord, I pray that your grace and your mercy, Lord, I'm praying the fact that you died for us, that you rose again, that you're bringing a whole new world with a whole new reality filled with your presence and goodness, Lord. I pray that that would get inside of us, Lord. I pray that it would overcome us, Lord. I pray that it would captivate us, and I pray that it would transform us. So, Holy Spirit, we open ourselves to your work in our life. And, Lord, we seek you. Lord, and we obey you. And, Lord, we love you. Lord, um, may we follow you this week. And may we sing even these words that we're about to sing. Lord, simple, simple lyrics, but they're so true. And so, Lord, you are our living hope, and we praise your name. Lord, I pray this in your name. Amen. You God, why don't you stand and sing?